It's a sunny, woodsy day in Lumberton, so get those chainsaws out. This is the mighty W-O-O-D, the musical voice of Lumberton. At the sound of the falling tree, it's 9.30. Okay, let's go. Let's go. Hello and welcome. Welcome and hello. This is Wait, You Haven't Seen? It's a show where we talk about movies and specifically, we talk about a movie at least one of us has never seen before. I'm your host, Travis, a.k.a. TV's Travis. This is episode number 158, and our movie this week was 1986's Blue Velvet, written and directed by David Lynch, here to talk with me about it, because like me, he'd never seen it before. Kevin Goatee from Gutting the Sacred Cow. Kevin, how are you? I'm fantastic, sir. How are you? I am doing all right. So you had never seen Blue Velvet before. You brought this one up. This was a suggestion of yours, and uh, I had never seen it either, so it was a great suggestion. What was kind of what? What is your background or history with this movie? How is it that you hadn't seen it? Was it something you had thought about in the past and just it just never hit your radar? Or do you avoid David Lynch movies uh, at all costs? A lot of questions, Travis. One at a time, <laughs> pal. One at a time. Uh, so I did remember. So I did see this. Okay. But I turned it. I, but I turned it off. But I, so I was watching this. I go, ah, yes, I remember him huffing nitrous and then <laughs> acting like an asshole. And then I remember bailing on. I go, all right. And now how I got back to it. Well, I'm a film snob. I'll assume that you are as, as well. Oh, sure. And that's what, uh, exactly what we, we pride ourselves on gutting the sacred cow out or being film snobs. So I said, listen, self, you've seen a few Lynch films. You've seen Fight Club. You've seen Lost Highway. I got to look at his discography, discography, <laughs> filmography. And figure out what else there is. But I said, you know what? All the critics loved Blue Velvet. Maybe I should just go back and revisit it. So when you approached me for doing your show, I said, what the hell? Let's make that this opportunity to do so. That's as good a reason as any. So I I had not seen this movie either. And it was one, I don't avoid Lynch, but I don't gravitate to his movies uh, necessarily. Although I do very much enjoy Twin Peaks. So... It's not a never uh, watched a movie, never watched the TV series, not one episode. Hmm. Um, Blue Velvet, though, my memory of that is actually uh, has more to do with my mom than anything else. A friend of hers um, had her watch this movie. Like they, they, the couples got together, and and uh, the one guy's like, "Yeah, we're gonna watch Blue Velvet," and and she <laughs> she holds a grudge what to a this choice. day. Yes, she still holds a grudge against this guy to this day for making her watch Blue Velvet. She hates this movie with a fiery passion. She she never, I don't know if she ever watched anything with Dennis Hopper in it again after seeing this movie. It, it, oh, it affected she's denying her herself such pleasures like speed. <laughs> but uh, that was most of my memory of this movie. I just it just never. It was never something that I sought out, but I'd always heard a lot about. So. Um, you know, obviously, this show—the format of it—is great for things like discovering movies that maybe I just passed up, or uh, finally saying, "You know what? Screw it! I'm going to watch Blue Velvet because I hear it's weird." And whew, um, yeah, it is. It's a uh, it's a lot to take in. Lynch, though, for me, is fascinating because he just does what he wants to do, and he does not care. Uh, he really doesn't seem to care if you like what he does or not. 
But he also, I, I think one of the fascinating things for me is that he's not a, I can't really classify him as a film director because he doesn't just oh. do films at all. Right. Uh, he, he does, you know, it doesn't, he doesn't care the format, film, short, television. He had a thing going on where he was just doing the weather report every day for like four or five years. Just these little short, like here's David Lynch with today's weather because that's what he wanted to do. Um, he's very, very odd. And, and his films, uh, never have, they're not a narrative. There's no narrative to it. Partway through the movie, I kept like trying to pick stuff apart. And at one point I stopped myself and I paused the movie and I said, bringing logic brain with me on this journey is a fool's errand because it's just, all I'm going to do is run in circles trying to figure anything out. Like, it's just not going to happen. So sit back, soak it in, and then try to process it afterwards. It was kind of my my uh, state of mind with the movie. Um, overall, so you made it through it this time. Uh, you didn't shut it off, right? <laughs> what What did, did you th- What did you think uh, as just a film watching experience? Taking Obviously, you've got some of the background of like critics talking about it and and whatnot. But what did you think mm-hmm. of it, just as an experience of watching something? So, are we starting at the top with our full opinion? Or are we going to slow roll it and then come out at the end with our final opinion? Or you, how how you tell me? Uh, let's slow roll it. Let's 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 build ourselves into it. That's the spirit. So, experienced. You said it very well when you said. I tried to apply logic brain and I stopped trying. Now, a lot of his films, nay, I say, I mean, if you pull up his filmography, why, why vampire mm-hmm. fight club comes to mind. That's that Fincher. Ob- Fincher. I said, uh, Lynch. Oh, never mind. Oh, that's very horrible of me. Fight club Lynch. wouldn't make it, but Lynch has, no. uh, has eraser head, the elephant man, uh, yep. the 84 version of Dune was David Lynch. Yeah, um, which ironically is next up on my Netflix DVD queue. Don't oh, really? laugh. That's that's the best. That's the best way to get the movies that come out now the fastest without paying for them. Yeah. Um, and uh, by the way, Dune, the new one, not that good. I remember the, the original being bad, and boy, this new Dune, very beautiful but boring. Um, and he also did Lost Highway too, correct? I that know, was I'm pretty sure about yes. that. Yeah, Lost Highway. Yeah, uh, Wild at Heart. Mulholland, Wild at Heart. Um, Mulholland Falls, is that him? Mulholland Drive is him. Drive, drive. That's what yeah, I say, yep, drive. Yep. Yeah, though, those, that one made more. I saw that recently, mm-hmm. and that was all right. It had more, as you said, logic brain attached to it. So like, oh, all right, we see where we're going. We see what can happen. Yeah, he'll throw you for a loop here and there, but for the most part, we got a grasp of what's going on. Lost Highway was a was a rigmarole of, 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 of goings on. I, the soundtrack is dope. Oh, yeah. Nine Inch Nails and Smashing Pumpkins, two great songs on that. That came out when I was in college dating myself. But with this, it, it, it was all over the joint. And I'll, I'll, listen, let's start. I just want to start with this. Kyle McClanahan and Matthew Perry could be long-lost twins, and I would completely buy that if you told me that that was the case. And I bet they both have the same... Crippling addiction to pain pills. That is my guess. That's my guess. That wouldn't surprise uh, me too much. McLaughlin, yeah. he's he's friends with David Lynch, so he's shown up in a bunch of his stuff. He's in uh, Dune, um, which so you'll see him uh, when you watch that. He's also oh. in this, and he's in uh, Twin Peaks. Um, 
Yeah. The movie or the TV show or both? Uh, I know he's in the TV series. I think he showed up in the movie and then he's in the revival series that just came out a couple years ago as well. I see. Uh, I just didn't, I never got to it. I never, I didn't have the need to go run to it. People said mm-hmm. it was good. It's never, I just never caught it. But with this, it's, all right, here, here, are, my, here are my notes. Okay. Mm, minute 31, I really don't give a shit. <laughs> These characters are are boring, and the story sucks slash drags. Um, I have a real problem with a a dumbass bringing his wallet to a a breaking and entering. That's criminal rule number one, who brings their own identification on a Mm B&E. And uh, when he does get held up by Isabella Rossellini with a knife, why not just make a run for the door? Or at least a swift kick to her sternum or... Nether regions may or, slow her or, down. Or anything. Any kind of fight. Sure. And uh, listen, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a man about passion, a man of passion. I've received a lot of BJs from a lot of ladies, but I can tell you about this. You can call me a pussy. I've never, I don't think I could ever get hard while a woman holds a knife to me while she's about to, uh, you know, do stuff. That's, uh, that's nuts. Yeah. Uh, De- Dennis Hopper. I, we're, again, we're fast forwarding here. And the whole sex scene is just pure. Uh, I know you said PG 13. I'll use one effort. It's pure fuckery. It really is pure fuckery. Uh, I mean, the snorting of the nitrous oxide or whatever that I'll assume that was nitrous oxide. It was, um, uh, is actually it's amyl nitrate is what it is. Oh, poppers. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. Okay. Mm-hmm. Got it. Make, well, uh, this, this is that what makes is it supposed to make us believe that that is what makes him crazy is just snorting the poppers. I mean, I felt like, okay, you want to have a, a, a character trait that shows that they're baddie. Okay, fine. But this, no. It, from what I understand, amyl nitrate kind of relaxes you and, I don't know, settles you down. I could be very wrong. So if I am wrong, please correct me. Well, the, but, the funny thing is the original script, he was huffing helium. <laughs> and so his voice would be very high instead. And they changed it uh, in part because Dennis Hopper told him that amyl nitrate would make more sense because it's supposed to help with sexual arousal as well. So right. he and was I, like, I know, I know that's t- very tied in with that. In fact, supposedly from what uh, I heard on Stern like years ago, he said the gay folks would do, use a lot of that. That way it would help them open up their bee holes for uh, action. If you believe so, that or not, that's yeah. That so makes sense. It, it was one of those where I, it is it it's incredibly that that whole scene is equal parts like weird and difficult to watch but also incredibly hilarious and ridiculous. And I guess yeah. like the the story goes that David Lynch was laughing uncontrollably while they were filming that and and he ended up uh either dating or married to Isabella Rossellini for a few years after this movie. And at first, she didn't understand why, but now when if she goes back and watches the scene, she laughs too, because it is very, it's just, in, it's insanely ridiculous, the whole the whole premise of it and, yeah. and all of it. But when I was watching it, I was also like, oh, gee, I can completely understand why my mother hates this movie. And I'm surprised right. she made it past that point. Um, yeah. If that was his mark of being a crazy person, I think he needed to really dig deeper into the bag of tricks of being crazier than just huffing that and acting wild. Uh, so Kyle McClanahan's a college kid who wants to get involved with a small town murder instead of just banging his high school girlfriend. Got it. That makes sense. <laughs> no, it doesn't. Everyone in this film 
is feels like they're trying way too hard. Mm-hmm. I think the overacting in this film is at a 15. Uh, it's Hopper, especially. We get it. He's a douche. He's supposed to be this douchey gangster, wannabe bad guy. It's it's way more. It's more comical and like I don't take this guy seriously until maybe the very end when he comes in with the silencer and, the, and all that stuff. But I but everybody else I felt except Laura Dern. But everybody else was trying way too hard, way too hard for this role. It, it felt like a student union film. They were trying to uh, get into a, some kind of a award uh, discussion. I mean, the, the the highlight of the what the hell moment is Isabella Rossellini standing there naked at his house, just showing up naked, like, help me. Yeah. Can you imagine if you ever had an Uber Eats for naked, you know, lounge singers? <laughs> That's something that would be, uh, I think, Ashton Kutcher, the angel investor of the mall, should invest in. Yeah. That was another one of the the interesting behind-the-scenes ones where uh, they were filming that at night and people found out about the filming and so, like, fans were showing up and because and, they were filming it outdoors. And right. so she's talking to the assistant director like, hey, you might want to let them know what this scene is going to be that we're shooting. And, like, people are coming out. The way, she, the, the way she said it in an interview was, like, grandmothers were coming out and setting out blankets, like, on the lawn to watch the movie get shot. And so she went out to tell them all, hey, uh, yeah, I'm doing a nude scene. It's going to be kind of intense. And, they're no, like, nobody reacted to it, so they just did it anyway. But, huh. I, if they thought that was something shocking, they should have then said, wait a minute, that's Happy Gilmore's grandmother in that one scene. <laughs> yep. I caught that. Um, but it, the, 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 here's the thing. As I said before a little bit, this story, I hated it. I hated every waking minute of this story. The characters, I couldn't care. Again, they tried too hard. It just didn't pay off. And when I... I, I must have paused at least eight times on Amazon to find out where I was in the process. You go, <laughs> oh, Christ, another 25 more minutes of this shit. I realized why I turned it off when I saw this, and I looked on Netflix to see when I rented it. Ready? 2004, and I sent it back with a one-star rating. <laughs> so that's I go, oh, look at that. I, and I must say, I'm going to pat myself on the back. Kevin Goatee, as a young man, as a young boy, as an adult, as a middle-aged man, his batting average with consistency is goddamn good when it comes to seeing a film for the first time going, either that was fantastic or, oof, that stunk. Or, listen, some films do degrade over time. You're like, eh, you know, I loved it then, and now it's kind of, eh. I never liked a moment of this film. I absolutely hated this film. I would have turned it off again if it wasn't. I had to watch it for this podcast. <laughs> but because I make people watch everything the, the, from top to bottom, actually – the people who choose the films of my podcast, they choose them. So they're inclined to watch them all the way through. I have to because I'm a good sport, too, as my co-host is as well. But I would have turned this sucker off right after the the huffing. Not because that was too much for me to handle. It's just because mm-hmm. I didn't give it. Just because I didn't give a shit. It was the story dragged. I didn't care. I wasn't buying a college kid who's just home because his dad is sick. Then gets tied in because he finds an ear and wants to play Dick Tracy. No. <laughs> He's got a hot high school girlfriend. He can just have sex with the entire time. Work at his dad's hardware store. Instead, he's going to get tied in with a gangster and a lounge singer. All she does is sing one song over and over and over. Nope, I'm tapping out. I would give this film a robust one out of ten. All right. I, that is... I hated it. I hated it. <laughs> so, all right. Now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a few things on my take on it. And I just, I just want you to... to 
go with me on this for a minute and see if you think anything I'm saying makes sense or if I'm just a complete nut job. Um, Fire away. So, if you didn't like this movie, I don't recommend many other David Lynch projects. What I have watched of his, you won't like. Uh, I, I think I can fairly easily say that. Although Dune... I saw for the first time his version of it all the way through uh, a couple years ago for this show, and it is the least Lynchian uh, Lynch movie, but it's still very weird, so be prepared for just some kind of weirdness there. Um, You're not wrong in that the story drags, and actually the original uh, script and supposedly there was a first assembly cut of this that was about four hours long. Of course there was. And he cut it down, cut it down. In the Blu-ray release, uh, they had like something like 50 minutes of deleted scenes um, that they did release. The The longer cut's gone, gone. But um, So it was longer. It's still, I, I agree with you, it drags at parts. I don't love that. I actually did find myself somewhat enjoying the movie, but I can't look at it like a movie where it's a narrative a to B to C, three-act kind of structure thing. It's this weird... Everything I've watched of Lynch is the are these weird kind of art projects where he's sort of telling you a story, but it's less about that and more about creating these just odd situations and weird people inside of them. It's kind of a strange sort of satire that isn't really... It's satire, but it's not funny. It's like putting a weird funhouse mirror on on the world and just the way that David Lynch sees things. So you're right. Like I'm watching it and I'm thinking, wait a minute, he's breaking into this woman's apartment, which by the way, he completely got the keys in the most ridiculous way possible. I'm going to come in and spray for bugs and her right. keys are just hanging there. So he takes them and she apparently just doesn't notice that. But he breaks into her apartment. I'm like, all right, so you're not wearing gloves. You're not wearing a mask of any kind. You just walked into the apartment, at, and uh, and like you said, he's got his wallet on him too. So he's got ID. Like all these things are breaking and entering 101. You don't do. I know that, and I've never had to break into some strange person's apartment. Um, but all the reactions to things are just like these weird. They don't make sense. And but then you get to a scene like the the scene with um uh. Ben, Benny's apartment, the brothel that they go to. Um, right. Uh, what the hell is his name? Dean Stockwell's place. Yep. And it's just like, okay, though, no, that's what this movie is about. It's not about trying to tell a story. It's just about putting people in these weird situations. And then we'll just see how crazy things can get. Like that whole scene, I was fascinated by because it's just like, what's the next weird thing we're going to see? You got Dean Stockwell wearing white makeup, and you can see that that very distinct line of the makeup. And then he starts singing the Roy Orbison song, but with a stage light as the microphone for whatever reason. But he's not singing. He's just lip syncing to it. And halfway through the song, Frank decides, I'm done with this. And you can just see on Benny's face where he's he looks over and he sees him heading for the tape player. He's like, oh, well, we're done here. He was so calm the whole time. He's just got these weird affectations. Like it's, I have to feel like actors enjoy doing some of these movies because they just get to like go nuts and have fun. Right. And I listen, I'm all about the, I don't, it doesn't have to be A to B to C. I don't mind jumping around, Mm. but the journey better be worth it. And it wasn't the characters had better be worth it. And they weren't. That's my problem with this. I, there's nothing you feel for any of those characters. 
And it, again, it felt shoehorned the entire way. Mm-hmm. That's my that's my problem with with this journey. And again, is there symbolism I'm missing here? Probably. I Am mean, I caring that I missed it? No. Maybe, but one of the things that I do actually really appreciate about David Lynch. So, any of the DVD releases of his movies that he has approved the release of um, have no chapters in them. It's one. The movie is one continuous chapter because his thought is. He wants you to sit down and watch the whole thing. He doesn't want people jumping around in there. But another thing is he doesn't record director commentaries for any of his movies because he doesn't want to inject what he thinks about the movie into it any more than he did when he was making it. He just wants people to come up with stuff. That's why like, he never explains Eraserhead. By the way, if you want surrealism, uh, strap in and, and watch Eraserhead and, uh, and try to figure out what the hell is going on because that's a... A mind trip. Uh, But I I kind of appreciate that in the way of like, he's trying to, he's got a style, he's trying to do something, he's trying to make people think, whether that's good or bad. Like he got a reaction uh, from you in this movie. Now, granted, your reaction was, I want to turn this off, I'm only going to suffer through it so I can talk to this, you know, dope on the internet about it. But he, he did at least get to a point where there was some sort of a visceral, uh, a visceral reaction to it. You just didn't enjoy it. You didn't like the characters. You didn't care about that. It bored you. And that's completely uh, makes makes perfect sense because I actually ended up watching it twice, um, usually because Holy I'll go through. Holy shit. Did you really? I'll go through and try to, uh, if it's a movie I've never seen before, I'll watch it just as I'll sit down on the couch and watch it just to, just to take it in and give it my first blush. And then... I'll go back through and rewatch if I can pick out uh, either specific scenes I remember uh, I want to talk about or audio clips that, uh, you know, were interesting or funny. Um, So I did sit through this twice. I didn't hate it. And in fact, the second time watching it was better. Uh, it's, It's the type of thing, though, I have to be in the right mindset to watch. A movie like this I can't this isn't the type of thing where I can I can watch it anytime or I can say hey you, you'd love this movie let's sit down and watch it it's more of a I'm kind of feeling like like something weird I'm kind of feeling like something that's going to be you know Lynch Lynch like uh, and uh, another director that does that a lot is David Cronenberg if you ever watch sure. um, The Fly or Existence oh, yeah. or, I got to be in the right mindset to watch something like that because it's just weird um, Jim Jaramouche is another one uh what is um? What was the one he did not that long ago? The Dead Don't Die, I think it's called, with Bill Murray. I didn't, I didn't catch that one. Good. Uh, it's very Jim Jarmusch. It's very weird. Um, you gotta, you gotta like his style of filmmaking. It, it also drags a little bit. That that kind of surrealism. If you're not in the right mindset for it, or it's just not, it's not the type of thing that's going to grab you right away. They drag on. They take forever. This movie had like, there's those moments at the beginning of it. You have the dad has the stroke while he's out uh, watering the lawn, and for whatever right. reason, you got the end of that scene shows the dog in slow motion biting at the water coming out of the hose, and then this slow push in on the grass and the beetles in there, as the right. sound just gets louder and louder. And the first time I'm watching, I'm like, what in the hell is this? And even the second time watching it. Like what in the hell? It, and and then it just goes away, and you never really think about it again. That's Lynch kind of stuff, where he just has these weird moments of like, 
either a visual that's just strange or audio that puts you off. And I don't know, for whatever reason, I find stuff like that fascinating when I'm in the right mindset. Otherwise, I just can't, I can't get into it. For some reason, right. watching it the second time, I could, although Frank is terrible and I can't stand him. Dorothy is, is crazy and I can't really stand her as a character. Uh, you're right. How many times do you, how many times do you confuse uh, Isabella Rossellini and Helen, Helena Bonham Carter? How many times do you juxtapose the two of those? Um, eh, fairly regularly. <laughs> yeah, I thought they're they're very similar in their styles and looks and roles, especially uh, Bonham Carter, especially with the uh, the Fincher, even the uh, Tim Burton as well. Yep, all the I mean, she's in just about every Tim Burton movie from what like the last twenty years. Yep, something. Were, like they, that. were they married or at least dating for a while? I think I recall. They, yes, I think they were. I want to say they were just dating, but either way. Uh, is like her and or Johnny Depp in everything he's done since, I don't know, 2002. Yep. Um, Laura Dern in this, she was 19 uh, when they made this. and She was 19. She looked 24 at least. Uh, I think. She was like 18 or 19, I want to say. Maybe 20. Um, but uh, she had come off of uh, Mask. I don't know if you remember that movie from like eighty. 80- with with uh, Cher and yes. fucking Eric Stoltz. Yeah, never saw it. It's always referenced. So when you make a joke about somebody looking ugly, that's the joke you use. But I never saw it. So she was in that, and I guess uh, she had. I haven't seen that movie in in at least twenty years. Uh, and I and she played a blind girl in that movie. And Isabella Rossellini was like, "Wait, why are you casting a blind? Per-? Like she was so taken with her performance, and she's like, "Why are you casting a blind girl for this this character?" Because again, Rossellini dated uh, dated and or married David Lynch after this movie. They were together for like four years. Um, and he <laughs> his uh, his first meeting with her, he said she looked like Ingrid Bergman's daughter. Oh wow, she is Ingrid Bergman's daughter. So it makes sense. Um, yeah. That, that to me was a fairly funny, uh, funny moment. The, the characters in this, here's the thing with them. They are, they're like caricatures for even your main characters are two dimensional caricatures that don't really make sense. Like you're right in that this guy comes home from college and apparently originally they had scenes with him having a college girlfriend. Um, right. But then he comes he comes home because of his dad being in, in the hospital, starts falling for the high school girl while also strangely falling for the lounge singer, which was the one thing where I'm like, okay, so now he's not even a likable character because he's kind of playing both halves against the middle uh, a little bit, and that was driving me a little crazy. Um, there's, there's very – I kept waiting for, like, the dad uh, – her dad – the detective to be in on it somehow. I thought it was waiting for that exact moment when, he hit the, when the guy over the house, the guy in the yellow jacket, I go, well, this is where the dad's going to try and kill the kid off or something like that. And something bad's going to happen to him and no payoff. And but really, okay. I, right, I, I guess wrong. That happens. <laughs> yeah. I mean, right up until it was revealed to be Frank in the well-dressed man, uh, get up. I thought that was the dad showing up because right. he was the one we hadn't seen to that point. Um, yeah, Frank himself is just such a strange character because we don't have any background to him. Like you said, what? why does he do what he's doing? What makes him be like that? And we just right. never get it. He's just a sadist who huffs amyl nitrate and uh, 
that's about it. And doesn't want anyone looking at him. Likes it dark, I guess. <laughs> and, or is that a, yeah, it's a, I assume it's a shame thing. Yeah, he's got, it's a weird, like there's weird power dynamics that go on. Uh, he does love PBR though. So, I mean. And he's way, but this, and this is 86. This is way before the hipsters got a hold of this back mm-hmm. in, I don't know, 2005 and tried to make it cool. Hint, <laughs> you can't make shitty beer cool, guys. Nice try. <laughs> not buying it. Well, uh, yeah, he was loving the PBR. So, yeah, I guess Lynch, uh, I guess he got a a deal from the PBR sponsor to get some money thrown his way for the. Uh, but the there's also there's like weird moments of dialogue too, like the the conversation between um, uh, between them in the bar when he's talking about Heineken was so like that's one of those moments where I'm watching and I'm like, God, can I get into this movie because it's so stilted. It's so obviously like doesn't sound like a conversation two people would be having. Uh, even when she brings up Bud and his response is, oh, yeah, King of Beers. And that's it. Yeah. It never says anything else. I'm like, is this product placement? Is that what I'm getting here? Or yeah. He really loves Heineken that much? <laughs> uh... I mean, Daniel Craig did in Bond because, again, they were getting a fat check from him to do so. Right. And really, of all the import beers, Heineken? Heineken? <laughs> I, uh, I'm i not a fan of Heineken. I... Uh... I'll pass. Yeah, I never really got into Heineken uh, either. Um, did you did you catch uh, young Brad Dourif? As, sure uh, did. As his little buddy there. He had probably my favorite single moment in the movie is right as Dean Stockwell's character starts to do his lip sync, that character just walks over and stands up on the arm of the couch and leans against the door. Yep. Like it's the most natural thing you could possibly do. And for what I don't know if that was written into the script or if that was Brad Dourif just thinking this would be a fun to do on this take. I'm not sure. But for whatever reason, I saw, especially as a second time watching it, it made me laugh because it's just so weird. It's so strange to have. And that whole, again, that whole scene is full of just a bunch of really weird people doing weird things, whether it's uh, the guy that just says, my name's Paul, and then stares at him for a second before walking away. Right. Which he's already been in a car with him for how long? Um, yeah, it's a it's a strange movie. I do say you're right though; it drags. Like especially, you get the whole um, the whole scene after that brothel where they take him back in the car and they drive him out to the country, and then they just beat the crap out of him and leave him there at the whatever right. plant that is. You really could have almost ended the movie there. There wasn't much to do after that, although... Well, Hopper getting shot by what's-his-face in the closet, McClanahan. The tension of that scene I did I did actually like. That was... Yeah, that was good. That was, like, all right, good. They ended it better with that, but again, two hours of slog. I, I don't care if a movie's <laughs> three, hour, three, and a half, three hours and... I mean, JFK is one of my all-time favorite films. That's like three hours and ten minutes. But the pacing just fucking gets me sorry to curse again the pacing just gets me like oh move it along it's you're right they could have cut out that last part they could have cut out the, the car the car scene not cut it out excuse me could end it there or they could just went right bypass all the stuff that led up to hopper being shot then throw it there and i would have faded the black instead of having him with that the house go through all oh, that yeah. with like inside on, on the uh on the lawn chair and everybody's inside it's that, that again, though, is that kind of that that's that Lynch uh, Lynch styling where he's taking he's taking the ideas of these idyllic, you know, suburban life and he's making it just 
a little strange and weird to look at because that's just the way he views things. I, I He's got such a weird view of the world and he puts it into all of his movies and he just doesn't care. He's just like, no, nope, I'm doing this. This is what you're going to watch. If you're, if you're watching my movie, this is what you get. Um, in some ways I have to admire that. And in, and also completely acknowledge that it's hard to watch. It's not an easy watch. Not, not necessarily because some of it is hard to watch because it's, it's difficult subject matter, right? Like the, 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 faux rape rapey sex scene thing that happens is could be very difficult for some people to watch but it's also hard to watch just because it's weirdly shot and like it's just strange even something as simple as when they leave the brothel and all of a sudden it's just a quick cut where they disappear and then it's a shot of the high. I, I think some of these guys, and I'm, I don't know if I want to accuse him of doing this. A lot of these avant-garde wannabe, not wannabe, he is weird directors, independent ones. They just do stuff just for the sake of. I'm not saying it was for a reaction purpose, but mm-hmm. it felt forced. It felt very contrived to do stuff like you had just mentioned. To me, I again, I could be missing the greater the greater meaning of this. Very likely, being I was. Half tuned in at this point, actually more about a quarter tuned in after this and really usurped all of my attention and, and, and the ability to process. But I think a lot of these sometimes these directors want to get like, I'm smart. I'm going to show like I'm smarter than everybody. 2001 A Space Odyssey is a perfect case. The first and the third act. Are you kidding me with that nonsense? We did that on our, on our podcast as well as other films, too. They try and get smart for their own good just to try and prove how I'm not mainstream. Look at me because I do A, B and C. I felt this had a little bit of that in there. And once I get that sniff, you'll lose me. You really lose me. It's very hard to get me back once I try and sniff, like, um, you know, kind of pseudo intellectual or pretentiousness. Once I get a hint sure. of that, I'm out. Oh, and there's, there is no short of pretension in, uh, in Lynch's stuff at all. Um, and, and I think that's one of those things. That's why I can kind of admire the fact that he's just like, that's what I'm going to do. And I don't care because, that's that's sort of an art thing, but it also it makes it where you're going to lose a certain. You're never going to become like uh, incredibly commercially successful doing that kind of thing. Um, I get that, and I and I like how he's going to be have his own brand, and that's the way. I, listen, that's exactly what you should aspire to be as a director. I'm doing my own thing. I'm not. I don't have to sell it to Hollywood mm-hmm. to be successful, and I find I respect that. I just. One of the other components that I had mentioned before oh, are sure. in the mix of a recipe. Again, that's when I'm like, eh, yeah. nah. No, I, I totally get it. I mean, here's a guy who had done a bunch of shorts, and then he got four four feature films in a row, Eraserhead, Elephant Man, Dune, and Blue Velvet. He does uh, a really popular and crazy popular TV show in Twin Peaks. And so here's your kind of, that's your 80s through early 90s. By the end of the 90s, he's barely able to, he's he's kind of moving into different directions. Mulholland Drive is an interesting one because you bring that one up. That actually yep. started off as the pilot for a TV show. He wanted oh, no to kidding. do, he wanted to do another kind of Twin Peaks inspired type show. And so ABC uh, gave him money to do Mulholland Drive. And there's a TV movie version of it that got leaked on like a VHS screener. Um, okay. It it had a more open ended ending. Uh, it wasn't quite finished, um, and ABC was like, "No, we're not going to do it." But then a couple years later, uh, a production company gave him money to basically finish the movie. So he reshot some stuff, restructured a little bit, and put it out as the movie Mulholland Drive. 
uh, which I like. That's kind of an interesting story to me. Where he's like, "Yeah, I'm going to make this." So it ended up being a 15 million dollar budget, but half of that was was for a TV movie from like three years earlier, and he was able to just reuse all of that. Um, but that's again where I talk about like he doesn't care what format he's doing. He's not beholden to. I'm only going to do feature films. He does feature films, shorts, TV series, music videos. He did. Um, if you remember the the um, music video for Wicked Game. Chris Isaac. Chris Isaac, yeah. Way back. That was David Lynch. Um, he, he had Chris Isaac in a movie, I think. I think he was in, uh, man, I want to say it was, uh, might have been Lost Highway. I think Chris Isaac right. might have been in. Um, but, like, he just does documentaries. He does shorts. He doesn't care. He's just like, I'm going to make all this weird stuff and, and surrealism. Um, I kind of, I don't know. I kind of like that, but at the same time, I watch it and it's hard. It's way easier for me to watch the surrealist stuff and some of the pretentious stuff now than it was when I was younger. Younger me, uh, the me from high school and and shortly after, kind of late 90s, early 2000s, couldn't get into it because you just lose me right away. I remember that with um, all sorts of movies like these or uh, was it, I think it was 2000... I want to say 2007 when I saw Brick for the first time, Ryan Johnson's movie, and I did I never not. Caught that. I, I I couldn't get into it at first. I've gone back and watched it since, and I'm like, okay, no, I can see why why so many people liked this. Uh, but it is pretentious. It is I'm smarter than everybody. I'm the smartest guy in the room. Uh, you don't see things the way that I do, and that's kind of a tough barrier to entry when you're trying to watch a movie where you just want to be entertained. I want to be entertained and blue velvet. While I, I can say that I enjoyed blue velvet. I was not entertained by blue velvet in the way that I would be entertained by, uh, many, many other movies. So it's kind of one of those where I can appreciate the art that he was trying to go for the, the, like the surrealist, this weird funhouse mirror effect, but you have to, you have to know that you're going to get, bad overacting you're gonna get people just going completely crazy um and it's going it's just gonna be a strange watching experience however it had some good music in it i will i will give them that but then the music it it, it didn't grab me to be honest And and i'm a big stickler for music in fact we're taping two episodes this week one is return of the jedi tomorrow as Mm -hmm. you hear this and we're taping back to the future and i say these are I mean, John Williams is owned by himself on top of the mountain. Well, yeah. But the Alan Silvestri score in Back to the Future is so underrated. No one ever brings that up. But that it, music hits every moment right and every tone right. This music, and I'm again, and Hans Zimmer, love him and all the Batman, uh, the trilogy and other stuff. I, I didn't even catch this music. It, it just completely escaped me. Well, when I say it had good music, I the Blue Velvet is a is an interesting song, but it had the Roy Orbison song in Dreams. I just I like Roy Orbison so. That was fun to listen to a couple of times. But I the, had no idea that was. Listen, I have only thing I know Roy Orbison from is from Pretty Woman, and that's it. I'm not a Roy Orbison guy, obviously, but I did. I didn't know that In Dreams was him. That's uh, that's something. The funny story behind that was apparently they originally couldn't get rights for it, or somehow Lynch figured out a way to get rights, but Orbison didn't even know it was in the movie until he saw it a few years later, and then he was like, "Well, okay, I guess my song's in your movie." Uh, and so then he did like a, a music video with shots from the movie in it or something. It's one of those weird music rights in movies are always strange. 
uh, for licensed music. But the the score, this score is not memorable. You brought up Return of the Jedi uh, and Back to the Future, two of the more iconic uh, Star Wars th- scores are iconic, and Back to the Future, sure. I'm with you 100% on that. That is a criminally underrated score. The the theme, that, that main theme that Silvestri wrote is just so good. Um, the music in this, what I, what I liked outside of the licensed songs was kind of reminded me, and this is where that, that sort of uh, satire idea comes back into play, kind of reminded me a little bit of like an old Tex Avery cartoon where the music would would be like overly trying to tell you how you're supposed to feel about that particular scene where, you know, they had like this weird kind of jazzy stuff that would play in certain parts, but then they park the car outside of a church and he and Laura Dern have this conversation where there's like church hymns playing in the background as they're having this deep conversation. Like it's, it's discordant, but also supposed to fit the mood of whatever scene it's in. So there wasn't that consistency from, of, of music from scene to scene. So that's where I noticed that, but I can completely see where you just check out and you're like, okay, there's, there's sound happening, but none of this is (laughs) grabbing my attention. Um, It's not oral pleasure. (laughs) No, no, it is not. Um, no, I just, I don't know. I, I think Lynch is a weird, a weird dude, but kind of a fascinating director if you can get into it. Uh, have fun with Dune, though. I will say, Dune is the '84 version of Dune that you're going to watch. If you haven't seen it before, it's a lot more similar to uh, to the one that just came out than people would want to say. Because a lot of people will slag on that movie. Is it's oh, it's terrible. It's Take awful. Time. It's not good, but it's definitely trying some things. And it's also trying to make that movie in the 80s was a horrible idea. I mean, there's a reason that things like The Lord of the Rings couldn't get made until the late 90s, early 2000s, or Watchmen took forever to make because they're not, they don't translate easily from page to screen. Dune is not something that translates. I mean, as it is, got to wade through all the political intrigue in the books try and boil that down to something that resembles a, a film that doesn't drag on forever. And Lynch kind of tried to do that, but, um, it's, uh, you, I think you'll have fun with that one, but I don't know that I would suggest watching any of his other movies. <laughs> yeah. I think I have a racer in my queue too. Um, I don't know what else I have in there. I didn't look, I did, I did check that out. Yeah. Uh, he's not, he's not doing himself any favors with this one. That's for sure. Well, you know, not every movie. I mean, I think the thing that's that's nice about it is, like you said, he's making movies where he he it's not going to be for everybody. Right. And there's nothing there's nothing wrong with that. Not every movie has to be the you know PG thirteen gonna gonna cover all the spectrum type of deal. Um, but also to kind of be at a point where you know you understand what you like, and so you know you can kind of tell if it's going to be something that grabs you or not um and you kind of now know like you know lynch is not a director that you're going to gravitate to like you might not like twin peaks even though i do think it's pretty interesting storytelling i like noir too and he kind of always skirts on that noir i love noir and yeah i again i didn't lost highway i was like all right and mulholland drive i was like all right not bad either this I'm like, so, again, I love noir. I'm, I'm hoping to find a lot of other stuff. That maybe him, he does, or somebody else, or 
in that genre because I love it. But this, are we going to call this noir, by the way, or no? It's sort of, I think it it wants to be a noir story, but it never really gets there. Sure. Uh, again, it's that funhouse mirror, right? It's like noir. It's it's like a noir story that was written by somebody who's been told what a noir story is supposed to be, but they can't. Sure. They, they've never read one themselves, even though I'm sure Lynch has. Like, but but that's what it feels like. So it never quite gets to that point of being. Because you're right. It, it, like I like a good noir story, um, and this doesn't quite get there. But it, it but it's you know Kyle MacLachlan's character wants to be that detective. Which, again, is kind of a weird thing. Um, there's also, like, people in David Lynch movies never react the way that you that a normal person would react to something. Well, uh, when he brings the ear into the police station and he shows it to the, to the detective, and his reaction is just like, yes, that's a human ear. Nobody... You, human beings don't react that way to seeing a paper bag with yeah, an ear it, in it. It was so matter-of-fact. That's a good point, too. <laughs> Complete... Should have wrote that down. Yeah, that was just like, oh, yeah, oh, you had a human ear? Cool. Uh, can I get a cup of coffee here, two sugars and uh, milk? Thank you. It yeah. was just so matter-of-fact about it. Kind of Again, we just did uh, Return of the Jedi. We're taping it. And when Luke drops to Leia how they are – Vader's their dad, she's like, oh, all right. Like, wouldn't you expect <laughs> to have, like, an idios meal? Like, exactly. Like, moment. Like, holy shit. Like, I kissed you. Fuck. You know, <laughs> something like that. It was just like a, Wow. What? My sister has it. Oh. Yeah, it's too too too, you know, too cool for school on that one, I thought. Um oh, fun uh fun little fact for you. Uh David Lynch was offered to direct Return of the Jedi. Stop it. No, seriously. He turned it oh down. Oh my god. You know what? That's so funny cuz I have the screen up as I'm, I'm doing uh, research. I just I just hit something here. And Mark Quan was not the first choice for Jedi. It was uh, or second or third. Spielberg, Cronenberg, and Lynch were ahead of him mm-hmm. to do this film. Good, good catch. What timing? Uh, Lynch, Lynch was offered it and said, turned it down, saying he felt that it would be more of George Lucas's vision uh, of that movie than his. Um, I gotta say though, there's a part of me that wants to live in the universe where David Lynch directed a Star Wars movie just to see what the hell it was. Because kind of like this Quentin Tarantino doing a Star Trek film, kind of, yeah. Like just this weird grotesque fascination with okay now I gotta I just gotta see what that is even if I only saw it once, uh, just to have that experience would be would be something because that would have been before he did Dune so he ended up going on to do Dune, right afterwards. Um, also, uh, question for you, sure the Chicken Walk would what, that where the, yeah, would that work that from? could that work. Has that ever worked? Uh, and would you ever try using that as a pickup line? No, I would do a crip walk as Snoop Dogg <laughs> and Dre have implemented <laughs> those guys. I would do that much more before I would do a chicken walk. That is what we call white people f furry <laughs> yes. chicken walk. Like, what's if that's your way of trying to get your way into a, a lady's uh, undergarments? Well, <laughs> swing and a miss, strike three, curveball in the dirt. Somehow it worked for him, though. Somehow did got hit, got hit, got her to leave her high school boyfriend for him, and it started with the chicken walk. That I like, I, I like to think that that was just a, a way to break the ice, but that was not the uh, the determining fact, a determining factor. No, no. excuse me. Um, <laughs> and I mentioned how like people like reactions and and dialogue don't seem to make sense. Like the way he starts off his proposal of how he wants to do this whole, I'm going to break into this lady's apartment because. 
like it, it starts off with, you know, there, there come opportunities in life to gain knowledge. And so I'm like, people don't talk like that. Not even pretentious no. college kids talk that way. No. Um, also, when I first watched it, for some reason, the, the way it was framed up, the shot where she says, yeah, uh, her apartment's on the seventh floor. I'm like, that building only has three floors. What are you talking about? Right. Uh, and I guess when I watched it the second time because I was on my computer, I'm like, oh, no, okay, it's just dark. Because um, that was one thing with this movie was it was uh, the cinematography for it felt dark but not – I don't know how to put it. It felt like a film for sure, but it was shot – like everything was made to look like it was just dark. Like that hallway leading to her apartment was – Way dark, way too dark to be just the hallway in a building. Safely. Back to my point of trying too hard, this film. <laughs> eh, fair, fair. I mean, it's an interesting experience. It, it also is is the type of thing. Dennis Hopper, I don't know that he ever... How many different versions, or how many different, well, versions of Frank Booth, but also characters named Frank did he play in his life? Because it feels like every other movie he was in, his character's name was Frank. I forgot what his character, and I just watched it recently, was in Speed. I forgot it. I, I don't think it was Frank. Uh, no, I'm pretty sure it wasn't in that, but um, uh, I don't know. And he's kind of perfect for this role in a weird way because he's got a strain. He had a strange intensity about him. Even though, again, like you said, way overacting, kind of trying too hard. But we also don't, because we don't get that background or like any reason for him to be this way other than he just has this odd power dynamic. Like he comes into her apartment the first time, dressing her down and telling her not to look at him and call him daddy and all this stuff. And then he starts huffing the amyl nitrate and now all of a sudden it's baby and the power. But then if she looks at him, he punches her. So it's like this weird, it was, you could never really get a read on exactly who he was. Oh, no, it was Howard, by the way, in Speed. That was his character. Yes, yes. Um, he, I, I don't know. I think, uh, I think him as Deacon in Waterworld, though. That's some, that's some good stuff with the eye patch. I haven't seen that. I saw it in the theater once, and obviously, <laughs> as most people did. And then I saw it again. And I said, okay, that was, uh, <laughs> That's yeah, two, I don't know. Two and a half hours that you're not getting back. Yeah. Movie. Just showing that Kevin Costner is receding hairline back in 1995. <laughs> oh, he had that by, uh, what was it? 92 when he was doing Robin Hood, his receding hair is 91 Close. receding at that point. Um, yeah. You know, what's receding in that film, the script. Oof. That was bad. <laughs> One of the films I liked as a kid and go, wait a minute, as an adult, like, wait a minute, this is not good. Yeah, it's not. I mean, I still enjoy it, but it's not good uh, by any stretch. Although it did get, it did introduce me to Morgan Freeman, so I can always thank it for that. I saw that. Oh, yeah. That was the first movie I can recall seeing Morgan Freeman in. Um, but I, I mean, it's weird because Frank Frank Booth in this movie is not meant to be liked at all. But there's this strange charisma about Dennis Hopper, although he's just awful. It's uh, that happens a lot though. Even the character of Benny, the Dean Stockwell character, is like, this isn't a good guy at all. But why do I find myself like thinking, yeah, 
but he's also kind of interesting. I don't know. It is is weird. The whole movie was like that for me. It was just this weird, like, it was like a train wreck. I think that's <laughs> the way I would put it. I couldn't look away from it. I was fascinated by what I was watching, but I don't know if I liked what I was watching. Or I, oh, I, I'm, I, I'm I, very well aware of that. Uh, I'm very well aware of what I was watching. Oh, yeah, I don't like this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was just like, I'm fascinated by what I'm seeing. Do I like this? I don't know, but I'm going to keep watching it. And I didn't hate it. Um, I definitely, give me a number one to ten, as we say in the old on our on our podcast. Give me a number. If I'm rating this, I'm gonna give it a, I don't know, a five. Wow! Like smack in the middle. Like it's it's fine if I'm in the right mindset for it. If I'm not, or uh, or I'm I know the other people I'm watching a movie with won't like it. I'm definitely not not gonna recommend it. I certainly wouldn't pull what my uh, my parents' friends did through, uh, 25 years ago and recommend watching this to a bunch of other people. Like, he should have known. I'm sorry. He he might... She's still holding a grudge on him. He should have known. Knowing my mom. Maybe you thought, no thought your mom was in some kinky shit. Maybe that's just a misread on his part. <laughs> if, it, if it was a misread on his part, it's a hell of a misread on his part. <laughs> uh, I, I, I mean, I got five minutes into this. I'm like, gee, my mom didn't like this movie? Crazy. I brought it up to her because I saw her last week, and I'm like, yeah, I'm covering Blue Velvet on my show. And she's like, you're going to watch that movie? She can have a bit of a sense of humor about it now, but oof, boy. I mean, I'm not kidding when I say she hasn't watched anything with Dennis Hopper in it. I can't imagine what she would have seen Dennis Hopper in because she hated him so much in this. So I guess in that way, David Lynch succeeded. He got somebody to hate that character that much. It sounds to me like, I mean, what else has Hopper done that she had to avoid him at all? Now I have to Google. Now I have to Google. Um, what else has he done that's so – let's Google Hopper real fast. Do, 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 I mean, do. a lot of – I can't think of much else that he would have been in, but I think – I remember – Easy watching, Rider? She had a problem with Easy Rider? Just, that just popped in mind. Uh, no, nah, I don't know that she would have watched that, but like true romance. Oh yeah. That's, that's another one she would have loved. Um, no, I, it's one of Texas those chainsaw massacre too. Oh, come on. All right. Here's one. She <laughs> couldn't have avoided. Besides that. That's funny, right? I got to kick out that too. All right. She could not have avoided Hoosiers. No chance. Everyone's no. seen Hoosiers. Everyone has. I forget. He, why do I forget? He's in that. He's barely in it. He's just you know, the drunk. Ah, uh, that's right. That's right. But I think it was, it might've been speed or water world was one of those where he came up on screen and she just, she got like really annoyed by the whole thing. <laughs> nope. <laughs> she was True romance. I mean, it. that's another one that uh, that's uh land of the dead. I actually kind of sort of think that's all right. Tolerable. Land of the dead's not bad. No, that was, that was the, the one where Dawn, the, they're in the mall. Oh, that's Dawn they're of the, the mall. Is it? Yeah, Dawn of the Dead is um, in the mall. Land of the Dead was more recent than that. That was like mid-2000s. 2005. Yeah, okay, I remember that. Yes, he is in that. Oh, I forgot he was in the, one of the... He's the, he's, he's the mayor, I remember that. Yeah, he was in uh, what, the, what? one of the wow, Crow. He was in, he, yeah, I'm looking at it right now. Uh, I The Crow 2, wowie, zowie. You know how people talk about Caddyshack 2 being one of the worst sequels of all time? It is. No one brought up The Crow Part 2. Holy Christ, what an, an, an abomination that was. I mean, it's a movie series that 
never needed to be a movie series. It was one movie, that's it, let it die, move on. And the problem with like two was two expected that you knew everything that happened in the first movie and just jumped right into it. It's kind of how I feel about, um, I, I do a show on Highlander, the series, um, from what it was, I think started in 92, ran from like 92 to 98. And we're doing an episode by episode watch through of that series, which surprisingly better than you would think for a mid nineties syndicated cable TV show. Well, um, I'll tell you this, the, 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 the and we did the pie on our podcast, cutting the sacred cow. We did the first Highlander film, uh, who did that film? I forgot. Oh, Race to Canis. Who would win? Boy, the first uh, Highlander film is awful. It is bad. Bad, bad, bad. Well, I love it for what it is, which is a completely cheesy 80s action fantasy movie. Um, sure. But, man, if you think that's bad, don't don't take part any two. time to watch any sequel. I saw part two. And I actually... I even saw part three because I got dragged to go see that with a buddy of mine. He goes, you owe me a favor. I go, Jesus. Part two stunk. But, man, I think one's so bad for a myriad of reasons. I mean, the Queen soundtrack for a second. Okay, cool. But And the villain, Clancy Brown, fantastic. Mm-hmm. It's just all the other nonsense is just... Oh, it's nonsense. It's complete nonsense. Oh, it's but bad. but there's something for me endearing about it. And when they went on to the series, when they so the way I feel about Highlander is the first movie, great. I'm all for it. Sequels two there's five, by the way. There's five Highlander what? movies. Okay, wait. How many of those made the theater? I know the third one did, but did four, four and five or is it four did four went to the theater? So wow. okay. All right, so you got Highlander, Highlander 2, which bombed. Highlander 3, which was a loose remake of the first movie. was what they were Mary trying to Van do Peebles there. Mary Peebles is in that. Yep. I remember that. 4 made it to the theaters, bombed hardcore. 5 did not go to theaters, did not go direct to video, went direct to sci-fi channel. Yikes. Yeah, 5. You think 2 is bad, 5 is worse. I, I'm not going to find out. I promise you <laughs> no, that. No, don't. I don't. I promise you that. Uh, but the series, <laughs> the series was surprisingly good because it's long form, so they're able to flesh things out and actually give you like there's bad episodes, like any show, but but they were able to expand the lore a little bit. Um, but that like that's kind of how I feel about the crow. The crow didn't need to expand beyond a single movie, um, and they unfortunately did like four of those too. And yeah. they're talking about a remake. I did read the they tried to they were kicking that idea around weren't they throwing the idea God for some reason Bradley Cooper's name sticks out that they were considering him they might have been the most recent one was um, Jason Momoa was attached um, which I don't he's know not, he's not a, he's not a skinny emo rock star it doesn't match the doesn't <laughs> match the narrative why mm. reboot it listen I, I do a whole thing on reboots there's only been one reboot I take that back. Two reboots. And my rule of reboots is very simple. You should only reboot a film if the original was an egregious piece of shit. The perfect reboot was Dread. Because the original Judge Dread was garbage with oh, Stallone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The new one with Carl Orban is amazing. It's fantastic. That, and, and I do appreciate the first Star Trek reboot was very good. There, you do, we, listen, RoboCop is great. We don't need a reboot. Point Break was amazing. Don't need a reboot. What else? Total Recall? Fantastic. Certainly didn't need a reboot. I, they're out of ideas. I will they're say out this. Of ideas. 
So I agree 100% on RoboCop. Uh, the Total Recall one, the only reason that I didn't immediately, I haven't, I don't like the reboot. But the reason that I didn't say we don't need it whatsoever was they were actually going to go closer to the source material than the Arnold Schwarzenegger movie did. So they were, because that's based on a Philip K. Dick short, uh, we'll remember it yep. for you wholesale. They wanted to go back and kind of get closer to that, which I was like, okay, maybe they'll do something interesting. It didn't work. Um, but that was kind of what they did with Dread. And there's a case where it did work. They went closer to the source material. They brought the scale of it down to just that one building, and it worked. But you're... I, I agree that if a if a movie is egregiously bad, rebooting that is fine. I don't necessarily think that all reboots are terrible on their face, but there's way too many of them. There's so many that are just get, unnecessary. Give me, five, give me five reboots right now that are good. Go. I mean, good. Like, it's like a seven or above. Uh, Well, Dread. Okay. Um, I think the 09 Star Trek rebooting that was smart because you're bringing, okay. two. You're bringing Star Trek to kind of a different era of sci-fi telling oh let's see i'm trying to think of some reboots i might not be able to do it i may not i, thought so. I may not be I able to because so. i'm i'm trying to think of just reboots in general um not counting uh something like uh like spider-man that's been rebooted what three times now uh in 20 no. years um because no. i don't really like comic book properties rebooting those is always I mean, that's what comics have been doing for 70 years is rebooting themselves every decade or so. Um, Mortal Kombat is a reboot, if you want to call it that. Yeah. That was, uh, I liked it. I enjoyed that. Um, Tomb Raider was a reboot, didn't bother. Power Rangers reboot, did not like that. Mm. Oh, here's one. You know what? I'll give you, here's one. I, I'll just, I'm, I'm doing your homework for you. <laughs> the new Child's Play film was pretty good. I have no shame admitting that. I liked it. I legit. I, in fact, ready? I liked it better than the original. How about that? Ooh, I, I have some people that won't uh, won't like that, but that's okay. That's all right. I don't um, give. A, I don't give a shit what they think. Oh, the Ghostbusters reboot, terrible. Just kidding. Uh, <laughs> well, Kong Skull Island. I think no. the Mad Max Free Road. No, no. Are we talking the Ghostbusters twenty sixteen though? Because that's different. Yeah, that was more of a yeah, reboot. Yeah, I know. Um, I'm just. I, I just put in Google and it just said reboots. So I'm just reading some of the names. Oh, gotcha. Evil Dead. Not bad. Not bad. Because uh, and, X, and yeah. that worked because they didn't try to remake what the first movie was. They went right in a different direction with it. Um, Cape Fear is one that somebody in the chat brought up. Sure. That's actually a pretty good remake. Good call. Oh, um, oh, what was the? There was um. Well, I mean, if you want to get super technical, the thing is yeah. is kind of a reboot or a remake. Um. And I mean, John Carpenter's The Thing is fantastic. I just got somebody you know to what? watch that for I, the first I'm, time. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go out on a limb. I did not like. I did not like The Thing. Really? Did not like. It. And I rewatched it recently. Yeah. I, I mean, shit. Maybe a couple months ago. I, I, it just didn't hit. For it didn't hit me. And I tell you, all, I also don't like. I'm gonna get shit for it too. Escape from New York. That doesn't hold up. I, you can listen. I'll let you. I'll, I'll listen to arguments about The Thing. And I go, mm. okay, fine, I get it. But Escape from New York, man, boy, that just doesn't hold up. It really doesn't hold up well. His his best film, first of all, is, I mean, it's, it's Halloween. We all know that. Second best film, Big Trouble in Little China. That's yep. where the uh, the that's where the arguments go. No, you're but, not. Um, you are not wrong there. Uh, and I will say, you're 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 also not wrong in Escape from New York not really holding up because it's 
it's such a product of the moment that it came out and the style of film that we're that he's trying to do. But I don't mind that, do. I, and I and I get it if it's a part of the era. I'm not docking points for that. It's just it's just such a flimsy story, and what goes on, you're like, eh. Yeah. Maybe maybe the '80s we had a, a lower bar. Now that we've seen a lot of different things come out, our our my taste. I'll speak for me. Maybe you as well, but our tastes are a lot more refined. And it's just like it doesn't hold it. And I'm not. And, and again, one more time on our podcast, we destroy nostalgia because I'll give you two films that we did that people go, "What was the turning point for you in your podcast?" Where you're like, "Oh wow, this is not good." Batman Returns does not hold up. I loved it as a teenager. I saw it was twelve, right? Third, no, it came out in ninety one, four fourteen. Loved it. Does not hold up. Uh, and another one we're like Goonies. Another one we're like I like as a kid. Wow, that really doesn't hold up as well. But again, I never had that feeling. And some people love Escape from New York for that feeling. I, I challenge you. It it doesn't have it there. I can understand the thing. It, it's. It's I, I I I may be grading it unfairly because I think it's just a an awful wannabe version of Alien, and Alien is a much superior film that came out nineteen seventy nine for Christ's sakes and well it's I, it's a perfect yeah I can see where you're going with that I think the difference there because I've covered both of those on this show um, Alien is a haunted house in space and that's the premise that you're starting with on that the thing. What what makes it work for me is that it's the paranoia, it's the nihilism, it's the fact that they don't really have a way to get out of it, and there is no winning. The only way to win is to not play, and so it's a very different type of uh, movie for me from Alien um, in that way. Because Alien, they like Sigourney Weaver, you know, and, and that character never gives up. She's got a hope throughout the whole thing. Kurt Russell's character by the end of the thing is like, I ain't beating this, so we'll just ride it out and see what happens. And and so it makes for a very different right. tone to it. I love Carpenter. You're 100% right, by the way, Halloween being his best movie, because it absolutely is. It's um, not even close. I mean, it's close, but I mean, it's still a discernible d- distance between that and Big Trouble. I mean, Big both, Trouble, yeah. it's, it's, those are, that's a cult fan favorite. I get mm-hmm. it, but... From a from a technical and everything else, when you look at it from when you break it down schematically, I just oh. Halloween's su- far superior. Absolutely. Now, what I will say for uh, Escape from New York is, if it weren't Kurt Russell, no one would remember that movie. It would that movie would be 100%. in the era of that would that would be like Cherry Two Thousand, where people would be like <laughs> that movie. Oh yeah, but it's Kurt Russell's Snake Plissken that makes that work at all. Um, we even ran a we ran a poll on Twitter and I and I lost barely. I one guy said more people like Snake Plissken than Jack Burton. I go nope, more people like Jack Burton. That poll, Jack Burton, that poll was fifty one forty nine. I think I, I voted in that. I think I voted for Jack Burton. Oh, you didn't? Me too. Surprise. Uh, <laughs> and and the big reason for that is Jack Burton's more likable and quotable. Absolutely quotable. Um, I I will defend Big Trouble in Little China until my dying breath. I love that movie. Oh, so there's much. there's no there's no need to defend it because it's fucking great. <laughs> I'll it, give you and I'll give you a couple of other reboots since I haven't pulled up here. Sure. The Friday the Friday the Thirteenth reboot, not that bad, not that bad. It's not. I enjoyed it. Yeah, it's not bad. I didn't hate it. I didn't love I hated it. The Nightmare on Elm Street reboot that was terrible. Oh, that was but that was fr- bad. 
but the nightmare but the nightmare on elm street sorry the friday the 13th reboot i mean i'm gonna i'll i'll get a little you know uh 16 year old boy coming out of here when uh th- there's a girl the topless water skiing with mm. fantastic boobs and she gets an arrow right in the head i'm like god damn that just really satisfies two needs right there <laughs> two needs are met and the planet of the apes reboot the re- most recent one not the marky mark one that was terrible that oh, wasn't yeah. that bad either no, and i, I no, listen and i and I'll give you one more. I'm gonna go, again. Here comes the hate mail. I didn't think the Ed Norton Incredible Hulk was that bad. People hate it, but listen, Ang Lee's was dog shit. The Norton one I liked. Tim Roth as a villain was was fantastic as Abomination, and I dug what what uh, Norton did as the Hulk. It's a damn shame he's a royal pain in the ass. I, I, I wouldn't have mind seeing him in the Avengers. I mean, Ruffalo is just eh. If but, if Norton weren't I, I so yeah, if he wasn't so difficult to work with. Yeah. Uh, because I'm with you. I saw that in theaters. I liked the movie. I still like it to this day. I defend it as it's sure. not that bad. It's got its flaws. All the Marvel movies have flaws. The the it's not. It's uh, the direction is good. The action is enjoyable. I I like Edward Norton. I just wish he was easier to work with. Um, because it seems like he works with somebody and then never does again. <laughs> For some reason, like Fair. he just rubs every director the wrong way. I mean, think about what him and Fincher could have done after Fight Club if they had uh, if they had kept collaborating. But I don't think they ever did again. Or you look at what he did with something like Twenty Fifth Hour, Spike Lee, like all this stuff. And it's it, it, I love Twenty Fifth Hour is my favorite Spike Lee film. It's not my. I actually like Inside Man better. Um, oh fuck! I forgot about that one. Yes, those are my two. Those are my two favorite Spike Lee films. I love that. I love Inside Man gets no love. Denzel doing Denzel, and uh, I like Twenty Fifth Hour a lot. And again, I'm also a huge Rosario Dawson fan. That doesn't hurt either. Yeah, yeah, that definitely uh, definitely helps things. But yeah, I'm with you on uh, on the Incredible Hulk. I thought that was actually pretty good. I also liked Liv Tyler as Betty Ross. Totally dug her too. Totally uh, dug her. She was great. And having uh, you know the uh, well the late William Hurt as Thunderbolt Ross. Thunderbolt Hulk. Yep. He had. So what he had, because I love um, uh, who played him in the Ang Lee movie, um, uh, Sam Elliott. Yep. And I love Sam Elliott, but there was he wasn't unhinged enough to be Thunderbolt for me. Thunderbolt Ross needed to be kind of a little bit on the hairy edge, and I thought William Hurt brought that. He looked it a little bit more, and there was just something about that. I I do. I like I like the Ed Norton. Plus, it's starting in Brazil and that whole action sequence chase through the, in the favela. Yeah. yeah. Oh, so good. Love that. Um, so I think what we've determined is that there are reboots that are okay, but there's but too listen, many of them that happen. The exceptions do not outweigh the rules. That's my point. Uh, the, you're, you're looking at a, you're looking at numbers that are worse than Shaq was at the foul line. When we talk about success, <laughs> failure of reboots so stop that shit hollywood i mean didn't they didn't they discuss rebooting the matrix and in fact they kind of did with the last one an egregious piece of shit i might add uh but most of these reboots are not good stop it especially if the originals were so revered again if the originals dog shit you know go out there and reboot jaws 3d that was terrible but <laughs> don't touch the first one the first one's the first one is classic the first one but is classic gonna do it and someone, again, tried to do that on our podcast, believe it or not. That's one of those bulletproof films I thought 
that would never be attacked. Die Hard, The Matrix has been done. Again, we're doing Back to the Future. Jesus, ready for I can't believe Back to the Future is facing scrutiny. I'm floored I mean, to hear this <laughs> argument. I, know, I already know what the argument's going to be. A, it's too incestuous with the mother and son. And B, what is a scientist doing befriending a six, 17-year-old whatever year old high school kid? Those are the arguments. Other than that, there's nothing else to say. This film is zero fat. Good luck, I say. Good luck, sir. Yeah, no, that that movie's great. And uh, and I'm glad that it's never been seriously considered for any kind of a remake or reboot. Um, they, were, they were trying, I'm pretty sure about that. They, I'm sure oh, they kicked it it's around. It's been tried, but it's never gotten very far, thankfully. Yeah. Um, which is good. Now, Die Hard doesn't need a remake because uh, all, I mean, that's been already done. Uh, every action movie in the 90s was just Die Hard in a hockey arena or Die Hard on a boat. Are you or, quoting Sudden Death to me, you son of a bitch? I know what you're putting down there. I got that. Die Hard on a boat was uh, under siege. Die yep. Hard on a train was under siege part two. Uh, but you're right. Everything else, even executive decision, Die Hard in the air. Actually, yeah. they did that too. It's called Die Hard 2, which is not, by the way, not that good. Die Hard 3, far superior to Die oh, Hard 2. very much so. Die, Die Hard 4, not that bad. I tell you what, I'm also a sucker for Timothy Olyphant. That guy can do no wrong. He's amazing. I like Die Hard 4. Die Hard 5 is a, uh, is a manatee abortion. Let's also <laughs> put that out there. Yes. 4, the only problem I had with 4 was releasing PG-13. it. PG-13. Releasing it PG-13. If you, uh, when they put it out on DVD and they put the unrated version, it's, it felt like a diehard movie. Again. Right, but right. no, I'm with you. Uh, three better than two. Two has some moments, but it's it. What it is is it shows you the difference between directors. Die Hard is a perfect example of that John McTiernan doing action versus Rennie Harlan doing action. John McTiernan knows how to structure and pace his movies. Rennie Harlan did Nightmare on Elm Street four, so let's just throw that out there. He also did Cutthroat Island. Cutthroat I mean, Island, which I saw in the theater. Which was bad. Oh, oh. Well, uh, the movie that we watched was Blue Velvet, and if this conversation tells you anything, it's that uh, Kevin did not like it, and that's perfectly fine. That's perfectly fine. Uh, I I am, however, glad that I got you to watch it in in a in a twisted kind of way. Like there's a little there's a little hand wringing for me. It it forced me to do so. A lot of times I'm forced to watch certain films for our podcast where I'm like, God, I'll I'll tell people no just because I know I don't want to watch it. They can pick pick something else. But it all, again, uh, I've watched films because of my podcast. I've I've never seen until last two years ago Gone with the Wind. I didn't see until a few months ago um, Lawrence of Arabia. By the way, both aren't that good. They're very overrated. Very overrated. Very overrated i will it's beautiful it is a beautifully shot film Mm -hmm. three and a half hours of slogging through the sand no thank you and and gone with the wind too it's it was such a different era of storytelling that if you didn't it's kind of like going back and watching like there's certain things you go back and you watch and you're just like no this is from a completely different world like it's a different but i don't mind that i don't mind different eras i still can watch and enjoy wizard of oz which is Mm -hmm. 90, 90 years old, for Christ's sake. But Gone with the Wind, the characters sucked. It was at a snail's pace. I didn't care about anything that happened. Reconstruction, okay, great. We all know what happens during Reconstruction in our, in our country's history. And and, and and the SJWs go, no, that's, oh, the language is terrible. Yeah, that's how they spoke then. That's that's indicative of the mm-hmm. time. So we're not going to hold that against them. So that's a shitty argument. Nice try. Pass. I just didn't like it because it was fucking boring. And the character, again, the character sucked. It wasn't... It, 
I think the AF, I'm de- no, I'm not asking. I'm demanding. The AFI list needs to be reevaluated every five years because those films, a lot of those films on that list right now that are on the top spots do not belong to be there. For example, do you know what the AFI selection for the most beloved hero is of all time? Most beloved I hero? I promise you. I promise you you're never going to get it because when I heard, I almost would throw my computer through the goddamn window. Go ahead. I'll let you pick one guess and I'll tell you. Is it somebody John Wayne played? No. No? Uh, most beloved hero. I have no clue. I, I don't know who I would even guess. If you if you didn't think it could get more blowhardy than this, you're wrong. Ready? Atticus Finch. <sighs> Eat a dick. No, don't, I... don't, don't, don't sigh, please. There are 35 more people that are more enjoyable than it. And it's a good film. I'm not, not, it's a kill microwave. It's a good film. But come on. You pull 100 people on the street who their favorite hero of all time in films are. The answers are going to be, to some degree, Han Solo, Indiana Jones. That's at least 33% of the vote right there. And rightfully so. I would mm-hmm. not knock that. Now you're going to have your Iron Man, Spider-Man, Batman people in there. That's going to be at least, you know, just, let's just call it superheroes. That's 50%. So now we're about 85%. Then you have your mishmashes out there. Maybe your John Wicks or your Arnold and, and Terminators, Terminator 2. No one, no one is saying Atticus Finch. No one. I mean, he didn't come to mind. I will say that, but it, it also, we're talking about the AFI, the American Film Institute. It's a different, that's a different group of people than, than those that are just going to a movie for entertainment. But I can see, I can see where you're going. I, I can definitely it's, see where you're going. It, it's a, it's a blowhard cop out answer that I apps. And then all those films on there too, you look at them and go, nope, 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 nope. Off, 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 off. And I, I tell you what, I don't know how much longer we have here tonight. <laughs> the Oscars are coming out. And the best film of last year wasn't even nominated. And I don't care if I get grief for it, but Far From Home was the best film from last year. I don't care what anybody says. And I, I don't know if I saw any of those other ones out there. Uh, no I ch- forget no what, was, what was up for it this year outside of... Um, Coda. I didn't see it. I didn't it. see that. I, I, you know, the, 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 the Western film that Jane Campion did that Sam Elliott said, this is not a Western. That's hilarious, by the way. Uh, the man knows the man knows something about uh, Western films, for Christ's sakes. I mean, granted, he was in Tombstone. That's all you need to know, right? Right. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's just they they don't ever get these nominations or, or choices right. And I, I could go and argue why I hate the Oscars for the reasons, but the main one, of course, being that in 1994, what won that year? Do you recall top of your head or no? 94 was not Forrest Gump. That was the next year. Right. Nope, that it was. It was Forrest, Forrest Gump, Gump. Was Forrest Gump okay. won, and what, it should what? have. It should have been Shawshank Redemption that won. Or I would accept, and I would have chosen or Pulp, Pulp Fiction. Fiction. But I, I either one of those two. Exactly. No, I'm with now, you 100 percent on that. Now, now some of go. that is hindsight in that those two movies have also, I think, stood the test of time a lot better than Forrest Gump has. Um, but even in their moment, either one of those no. should have won over Forrest Gump. I, I, I can't disagree anymore. Pulp Fiction I saw in the theater three times. I saw Forrest Gump once ago. Why does everyone love this so much? And, yes, of course, we did it on our podcast. It's been done. But uh, And I'd and I, and I say the most criminally uh, omission is from about, shit, three, four years ago, maybe even five, The Founder. How was that not Best Picture? That was and a good one. Lo- 
Oh, oh yeah, Whiplash. One. Whiplash. Whiplash should have beaten Birdman. That was horseshit. Um, I do think, and it won't win it, but I think, and granted, of the nominees for Best Picture this year, I've only seen a couple of them. Um, right. I I really liked Nightmare Alley. I had a. I, I have really it. D- I have it DVR'd. I have it DVR'd. I'll watch it. Okay, so here are the Best Picture nominations. Belfast didn't see. Coda didn't see. Don't look up. Everyone I know hated that film. So now it's nominated again because it's typical of the times. Again, that's all Oscars do is just say stuff that's indicative of the time. Bad look. That's why no one takes him seriously. Drive My Car didn't see it. Dune, very, very overrated. King Richard didn't see it. It's in the queue. Licorice Pizza heard it is boring as shit, but very well acted. Whatever. It's in the queue as well. Nightmare Alley, like I said, DVR. Power of the Dog. I heard is a very it's 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 not a true western West Side Story. Stop it! Another reboot. Do we need to do that? No thanks. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm of, off my soapbox. Of those, I'm picking Nightmare Alley, but I also didn't see half the other ones. P.T. Anderson is going to get nominated because he's P.T. Anderson. So that's there's where your licorice pizza comes from. Um, uh, I've never. I, I don't hate his movies, but I've never gotten into him. He's one. Where, where you were kind of talking about the pretension and sort of the I'm the smartest guy in the room. That's what I feel like when I watch a lot of P.T. Anderson movies. But here's I – mean, I, I, I'm sure you're going to cite Magnolia as your main argument with that one. There are moments of Magnolia I like, but, I mean, his, his was, I, I think he's still riding off the fumes, and it's still great, Boogie Nights by far. Oh, definitely. No, I, I – and, and even Boogie Nights didn't grab me. Um, I loved it. I, I probably should revisit it at some point because it has been a while since I've seen it, but Magnolia didn't do much for me, and I'm trying to think. I, there Will Be Blood was was good, but that was so carried by uh, Paul Dano and Daniel Day-Lewis. I watched half of it. I, I, I don't know if I was tired. I, I got to watch it again, to be fair, but I bailed. I, but I gotta, I'm going to watch it again. It's Everyone loves it. Daniel Day-Lewis is amazing. I know he's the best actor of, I mean, I could probably say all of all time, but... Uh, I did not catch as much of the love for the reasons why. I'll, get, I'll, I'll give it a watch. I'll give it another watch, mm-hmm. but it just it, it didn't grab me. Maybe it was in the wrong frame. It was just tired. I don't know. But it, I, I'm, I, I owe it another watch. Yeah, and I think, I think a lot of it will come down to what are you looking for when you go to watch a movie? Are you looking for entertainment? Are you looking for a good story and characters that you like? Or are you looking for something... Are you in the mindset or the mood for something different? Um, something that isn't just telling you a story and that's where and that's where it kind of circle back to David Lynch that's where a director like him comes in where he's not necessarily trying to tell you uh, a story he's just doing some weird art project and framing it as a movie and putting it out there my uh, my point is if it's the best film it needs to be for example Moonlight has anyone rewatched that again has anyone rewatched Fruitvale Station again has anyone watched Green Book again. No, no, and no. Do it, do people own these films? No. Do you? And we call this on our podcast, The Remote Test. And The Remote Test is very simple. If at any point you've, you're flipping around on cable, you stumble upon it, do you drop the remote and go, yep, I know what I'm doing for the next hour, half hour, two hours? None of those films have that. No one's ever talking about them again. Mm-hmm. Why are they winning the best picture? The founder is. I'm watching that in a heartbeat. Uh, Whiplash, are you kidding me? Any point I, I catch that. That's what I'm looking for in a best picture film. Yeah. And not, again, oh, here's one more that got snowed. That makes me angry just thinking about it. What 1997? Do you remember what won best picture that year? 
That was Shakespeare in Love, wasn't it? And what should have won? Oh, 97 should have been. Oh, shoot. I, I, I knew this. Cause it's I a have perfect had, film. I have had all sorts of issues with it. Uh, let me take a look here. I'm gonna I'm gonna look and see what one. You're cheating. Okay. I am because uh, that's fine. I, I can't remember. Well, I I'll give you credit. You know the years for, for the other ones I gave you, so I'll give you credit for being on your game. So good job. Oh, uh, let's see. Oh, Fargo. Nope. Really? Not bad. I no. I, I'm going L.A. Confidential over Fargo. But I get it. You can argue that. I I but I but I'll take L.A. Confidential, ten times out of ten. I love L.A. Confidential. It's a great movie. It's per- um, it's a perfect film. It's perfect. It's it's really really good. Uh, I I also would have accepted. Um... Oh no, I'm looking at the wrong year. That's why. Hold on. That was the '97 Oscars for the '96 films. That's why Fargo was on there. I see. Uh, yeah, L.A. Confidential. I I would have even taken. Um... Private Ryan too is another one for Christ's sakes. Yeah. I mean, the thing with with award shows is it's really uh, a group of people deciding for the masses, um, and and it's never it's never going to make people happy. But they definitely get it wrong. I think they get it wrong an awful lot uh, and miss why people like movies. It's a bunch of you know old farts who are just completely disenfranchised from what regular people want and think and like. Again, who's watching Nomadland? No one's watching Nomadland. Maybe you'll like it. You go, okay, that was interesting. But no one's watching it again. I think if it's the best, best, best picture, you have to be able to say, fuck it. I'm watching it. It's on right now. Boom, done. It's, it, that's a no-brainer. And that's why AFI needs to go back and redo a lot of those films because a lot of them do not hold up. At the time they did, sure, <laughs> completely get that. But do they really hold up after time? That's a true test. That's a true test. Jaws. I can put that on right now, and that film is 46 years old. Film's yeah. perfect. Sure. Perfect. Sure. E.T., well, another one. Toy Story. Doesn't matter. Any time of the year. Anyone can watch them at any time. These other films, no. I'm sorry. Gone with the Wind, nope. At the time, sure, but not anymore. Okay. I remember, I'm on my soapbox now. <laughs> yeah, I remember being 12 years old, uh, 12, 13 years old, and thinking, why isn't Jurassic Park getting a Best Picture nomination, but then Schindler's List did? From a From a entertainment aspect Jurassic Park 10 times out of 10 I'm going to watch it over Schindler's List I will say Schindler's List is fantastic and it's really it's just and I get why it won like thinking about it now I understand why it won awards but if I have the choice between the two I'm watching Jurassic Park so there's that rewatchability if you read the book of Jurassic Park you go yeah the Jurassic Park movie's not as good well yeah I had read the book Um, I think no, I think I read the book after I saw the movie. I read it before. Um, I'd say, the, and I'll, before I get out of here, I'll do one more one that angered me. And this is Spielberg getting Spielberg. And I'm a huge, huge Spielberg fan. Although the last 15 years, he has lost about 10 miles off that fastball. The film that he, I got so excited that he did, but the execution was just so slip slod. Ready Player One, because I love that book. Mm. I read that book four or five times. I still love that book. Probably one of my top three favorite books. The film, wow, wow, wow. What a swing and a miss. Very I will, disappointing. I will say that is one of those movies where people that read the book hated the movie. Everyone that I've oh. anyway. uh, and So you've not read the book yet. If you haven't read the book, you enjoyed the movie. I, I didn't hate the movie, uh, but I also only saw, like, I I didn't see it till quite a while after. Um, I see. 
and I hadn't I had not read the book. Read, read the book if you have not yet read the book. Yeah, it's, the book. it's it's on my list of books that I need to read. The, unfortunately, that list keeps getting longer because I keep doing more and more podcasts. <laughs> well, listen, put that book at the top of your list. It's it's you talk about a film that a book that you can blow through fast, mm-hmm. not because not because I don't know if I'm going to guess, I'm going to say it's about 300 pages, but because you just you love every second, you ingest the shit out of it and you before you know it, you knock out half the book in one or two sittings maybe and you're like, "God damn, that's good." It is it's amazing. And I'll assume that you're the same age or near about as me. Mm-hmm. And it's just it, not only does it hit the, the same familiar notes. I'm like, again, I, I hate leaning on nostalgia. Uh-huh. It's just so every light is green. That's all I have to say about that. You'll okay. love it. I promise you. I, I will definitely check that out. Well, Kevin, thank you for being on this week. This was an interesting and fun conversation. It went in directions that I wasn't expecting. And I kind of, I, I like that. It's good. It's also refreshing that uh to have somebody come on watch a movie and just absolutely hate it um i'll be honest like (laughs) i so i'm the kind of person i like just about everything i'm that guy like i've done 158 episodes of this show and of the movies there's only a small handful i wouldn't want to watch again um one of those being the last airbender because that was terrible never saw it don't plan on it don't um but so it, it and it is but it's nice to know like I can show somebody a movie and I often, I like when people enjoy the movie that they see, but it's also fun to get a different perspective and totally see it in a different way and just not latch onto it. So for me, that's, that's pretty fun, but thank you so much for coming on and just talking with me about it. If you like, if you like that kind of discussion, you're going to love gutting the sacred cow kids. So what we do is we invite guests to come on to our podcast, pick a film that they find overrated or hate, but here's the twist. The film must meet one of these criteria, widely beloved, critically acclaimed, or financial success. And the bonus fourth caveat is, are people going to get angry if you take the tits out of it? So we've had people go, oh, English patient sucks. Yeah, but you know what? <laughs> Whenever the new episode comes out and someone looks down and goes, English patient? I don't give a shit. We, had, we, went, we give a platform to people with unpopular opinions. Sure. That's what we do. So we invite people to come on and go, you know what? I'm going to have the balls to stand up here and face your arrows, not ours, the audiences, mm-hmm. and say, you know what? This film everyone loves, I think it's an egregious piece of shit. And we've Don Jameson's one of our favorite guests. He's a fantastic comic as well. He did Die Hard and The Matrix in his first two attempts. Ooh. And then he also did Leaving Las Vegas, his third choice. So, uh, again, films that you're like, yo, there's no one who's going to attack these. Again, Back to the Future I thought never would be attacked. Goodfellas, Die Hard. Um, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Some of these films have been, some of these films haven't been. T2, not attacked yet. Terminator 1, though, is on the slate. So we give a platform to these people. Now, do we agree with them? That's the thing. Sometimes you go, yep, this film stinks. You know what? And we didn't need you to come in here and point it out. We know it sucks. We After a rewatch, sometimes we're saying, you know what? Eh, I could take it or leave it. I'm not going to die on the hill for it. And there are other times where we say, you know what? You're an asshole. This film <laughs> is fantastic. We, we've had people come on and go, E.T. sucks. They they got shredded. Toy Story sucks. They got shredded. Um, what else? We just did another one. Oh, Jaws sucks. They got shredded. I know. Oh, I know. Yeah. So I mean, listen, we, we, we slow roll our opinions until the end, and then we just then we, we torpedo them. So then we also have segments. We do our critics five-star and one-star reviews, Amazon five-star and one-star reviews, fun facts. By the way, you will never go down a more fun rabbit hole than reading Amazon one-star reviews of films, I promise you. 
Oh, I've uh, I have done that, and you are not wrong. I know. Um, so yeah, that's 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 the pod gutting the sacred cow. Give it a listen. We're doing what nobody else is doing out there, and that is again inviting people to come on there. And in fact, every year, once a year, my co-host and I will sit in the we call it the gutters chair. Where we pick a film mm. and we sit down and invite guests to sit down in our chair. So the, the the two films I've selected in the last two years, I think a Christmas. I, excuse me, I know a Christmas story is terrible, and I tell you why it is horrible. Mm-hmm. And then I also did um, what did I do this year? A Princess, The Princess Bride, also equally just garbage. My co-host did Three Hundred, and the year before that he did uh, The Shining. He said it's vastly overrated, and he's right. But so yeah, if you, if you if you love films, you go. How could this person attack that? Well, we get the platform so you can see how they do that. And you know what? I, I'm interested to to dive into some of those, uh, some more of them that I haven't listened to already because bring something. Give me a reason why you don't like it, and I'll listen. I, I will listen to anybody uh, with an opinion as long as they you know, can back up that opinion. So I like the, the right. format of the show. I like that you guys do that. Um, I, I kind of spin it in a different direction, which is I typically don't try to gut something unless I'm watching it and it's just like, this is bad. Like I watched... Uh, one of the movies, because my only premise here is somebody's watching it for the first time. Somebody's experiencing this movie for the first time. And one of those for me was Miami Vice with uh, Jamie Foxx okay. sure, and, sure. uh, and Colin Farrell. I didn't like it. And I didn't like it because it felt like my, my initial reaction was it felt like a movie made by somebody who didn't like Miami Vice. And then, and, but, and, and that's worse. Right. And that's worse because it's Michael Mann. And Michael Mann created Miami Vice. I'm like, what is going on here? What is happening? Like, it took everything that made that I remembered of Miami Vice, and like washed all of it out. And it just felt strange. So, you know, sometimes it's expectations versus delivery. Um, but, sure. but I, I just, I don't know. There's something about. I try to be positive. I couldn't find anything positive about that movie. Um, so, I might have to come up with something. Because I'm sure I've got a movie or two that I feel are overrated that you haven't done yet. Uh, I will I will have to get in touch with you about that. I do need to listen to the one on Back to the Future though, because how can somebody possibly ta- have anything? We're taping on we're taping on Tuesday, and I'm pretty sure that'll be next week's episode. All right. Well, definitely going to check that out. Gutting the Sacred Cow, um, and that's available wherever you get podcasts. Just- yes, sir. As well as YouTube, we would love a few things. One. If you would subscribe to us on YouTube, that'd be great. Mm-hmm. If you listen to us on podcasts, subscribe to us on YouTube anyway, and then turn off the notifications because we want to get monetized for Christ's sakes. Uh, but yeah, all podcast platforms. And if you listen, and if you listen, I promise you this: if you give us two or three episodes, which amounts to three hours and you know about an hour an episode, I promise we'll hook you. And when we hook you, do us that favor: write us a five star rating, two or three sentence review on you know, iTunes or whatever podcast platform you listen to, but just do that. It helps with the algorithm. I know it sounds dumb. It is, but that's the game that we have to play to do that. So five-star rating, please. I promise we're going to hook you this week. We're doing parasite. Bobby Slayton comes on a famous comic. We did parasite and Bobby Slayton does something that's never been done in this podcast before. I promise you this is a first so, in fact, when we were talking today, I got a DM from a fan going, I just can't believe what the hell happened. I go, I know, neither did we. <laughs> Trust me. So, other films we have coming up, I'll read the slate out real fast. Days of Future Past, Return of the Jedi, Speed, um, uh, Back to the Future, the aforementioned, The Professional, mm. 
Mission Impossible, Batman okay. 89. Uh, Beverly Hills Cop, that one's going to be a it's going to be a bloodbath and the Terminator. So we've got a lot of good films coming out where people have the balls to come up and try and Say, you know what? Throw your tomatoes, and boy, oh boy, the audience will not be happy. So guttingthesacredcow.com is where you find all the links. And I don't know, is this episode airing this week or no? Uh, yeah, so uh, so I record the show live uh, and stream it live on Sundays, 8 p.m. Eastern Time, twitch.tv slash Travis. But then the show comes out as a podcast on Wednesdays. Uh, anywhere okay. that you get podcasts or tvstravis.com. All right, so then this goes out for all my North Jersey, New York City people. Our live show, our second live show is happening this Saturday, March 26th, Carasotis Theater in Secaucus, Jersey, which is 10 minutes outside of Manhattan, where we're renting out the theater. We did last year with the Karate Kid. And nice. Bill and Joanne from The Morning Show are coming back to do Office Space. That's oh. right. We're watching Office Space in a theater. And then right after that movie, we are doing an episode right then and there. Ooh so <laughs> eventbrite.com, look for Gutting the Sacred Cow. And if you listen to our podcast, we're offering a promo code. I'm not going to tell you what the promo code is, but I'm going to give you a hint. It is one of our most oft-used phrases. It's all in one word, all, so no spaces. The phrase is all one word. Type in the promo code to get 15% off. Eventbrite.com, Gutting the Sacred Cow, this Saturday, the 26th of March, 530 Carasota's movie theater live show with Kevin Goatee, Kevin Israel, Bill and Joanne from the morning show on Compound Media. Come hang out with us. And that is going to be a blast. As last year we did the Karate Kid was an absolute slobber knocker in the <laughs> middle of a pandemic. We damn near sold the place out in the middle of a pandemic. Do not dawdle. Tickets are still moving fast. So get All on right. it. Gutting the Sacred Cow and guttingthesacredcow.com. Kevin, thank you for being yep. on this week. This was a, a very interesting and very fun conversation. I appreciate it. I'm glad so, Travis. Hopefully the comments in the uh, live stream are, are, are favorable for me. <laughs> uh, so 50-50, <laughs> which is, you know, that's all you can hope for, right? Sure. Um, so coming up for me on this show in the next couple of weeks, I am going to show a friend of mine identity for the first time. He's never seen that. Um, and then I am going to watch Naked Lunch. And uh, if I thought this was weird, apparently Naked Lunch is even weirder. So I don't know what I'm getting myself into, but that's coming up over the next couple of weeks. Uh, and i got some more fun stuff uh, down the line. TVstravis.com for the podcast, anywhere you get podcasts. It's it's easiest to find it at TVstravis.com because I gave it a terrible name that has punctuation and stupid things like that. Um, leaving a rating and review obviously helps the show. Um or, and you can also go to store.streamelements.com slash Travis if you want to get my uh, logo on a coffee cup or a T-shirt. Uh, until next week, an identity. Um, once again, Kevin, thank you. And uh, everybody out there, we always like to say on this show, uh, enjoy your movies. Or if you're gutting the sacred cow, tear them apart. you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>